Good morning. Today is Monday, July 5th, 2021. So people that keep kosher usually have a larger kitchen than anybody else. And if they don't have a larger kitchen, they want a larger kitchen because people that keep kosher have more dishes and more utensils and more silverware and more glasses. You have meat, you have milk. So nobody can have a kitchen that's big enough if you keep kosher. There was a man, a religious Jew, who renovated his home. And when he was finished, he invited his friend to come see it. His friend was Jewish, not so religious, but he was Jewish. And he invited his friend to come see his newly renovated home. So the friend comes over and the man is showing him the living room and the dining room. And it's very beautiful. It's just stunning, excellent, beautiful work. And then they come to the kitchen. And the kitchen is enormous. It's like the size of the Hilton Hotel. It's their cabinets endless, just going on and on and on. And the man couldn't believe in a private house, no matter how big it is, how large the kitchen is. So the man says to him, what do you need such an enormous kitchen for? So the man says, well, you know, we keep kosher and we have nine full sets of dishes, nine sets of pots and pans, nine sets of silverware, nine sets of glasses. So we have nine of everything. So we need a very, very large kitchen. The other man says, I know about keeping kosher, but nine, why do you need nine sets of everything? So the man says, it's very simple. He says, during the week, we have one complete set, dishes, pots and pans, silverware, utensils for meat and one set for milk. You have to keep separate meat and milk. Of course, on Shabbos, you have to have separate dishes in honor of Shabbos. So we have one set for Shabbos meat. And sometimes on Shabbos, we also have dairy. So we need separate dishes for Shabbos. Then Pesach comes. Pesach needs its own dishes. So on the weeknights of Pesach, we have to have Pesach dairy dishes, full set, full set, and weeknights of Pesach, a set of meat dishes and pots and pans and utensils and silverware and glasses. And then, of course, there is on Pesach, Shabbos and Yom Tov at the Seder. You have to have special dishes. So we have a complete set of pots and pans and dishes and utensils and glasses and silverware for Pesach Yom Tov for meat and another one for dairy. His friend is listening to him and he says, but that's only eight sets. Why do you need nine? And the man says, we also have one set for Traif. One set for Traif. Okay. Why? I'm not asking about the Traif set. But why do we need so many different sets of dishes? 
We all understand that keeping kosher involves lots of different mitzvahs. Kosher is not just one mitzvah. There are many different mitzvahs in the Torah that combine into this large category that we refer to as keeping kosher. There are uh, kosher species, and then there's preparing the meat properly, and we don't mix meat and milk together, and then we have to be careful to avoid bugs, and then if we have produce from Israel, we have to separate truma and miser, and this coming year is a shemitah year, sabbatical year with its own kashrus rules. Okay, so there are lots of different elements that we have to be careful about that go into what we mean when we say a person is keeping kosher. But why separate dishes? I understand you can't eat meat and milk together. I understand that. But why dishes have to be separate? Why not have the same food? You put meat on it, you wash it, and you put milk on it. Why should you have to have separate dishes? So that requirement, that mitzvah, comes from our Parsha, the Parsha of Matos. This week, the Shabbos, we have the double Parsha of Matos Masai, which brings us to the conclusion of the fourth book of the Torah, the book of Bamidbar. But in the first part, the Parsha of Matos, we have the following discussion. The Torah says that there was a battle that the Jewish people fought against the people of Midian, again, on their way into the land of Israel, still on the eastern bank of the Jordan before they enter. They had one last battle to fight against the people of Midian. And the Torah says as follows. The soldiers, when they fought, they brought back um, objects that they had captured. And they brought back utensils. Pots and pans and dishes. They brought back this stuff that they took as a capture from the war. So Elazar says to them, Elazar was the Kohen Gadol. Remember, this is after Aharon had died. His son Elazar was now the new Kohen Gadol. So Elazar, the Kohen Gadol, says to the soldiers who are returning, This is the law of the Torah that God commanded Moshe. Anything that's made of metal, has to be kashered. It says, Taviru ba'esh v'toher, has to be brought through fire, either through boiling water or through uh, like a blowtorch, whatever the methods of koshering. And also another mitzvah, which is not our subject this morning, and then all the utensils that came from a non-Jewish source have to be immersed in a mikvah. Okay, so the, 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 the mitzvah to take our dishes to the mikvah before we use them, that's also in our parsha. And the idea of it is that when you serve hot food on a utensil, the particles of the food are absorbed into the utensil. So the next, so let's say you have a hot meat food and you serve it on a utensil, the particles are absorbed into the wall of the utensil. The next time you have a dairy food that's hot and you put it in the utensil, the particles will mix together and it will create a mixture of meat and milk and that's prohibited. That is known as ta'am ki'ikr, the flavor that will come as a result of the residue of what you cooked in it before. That mixture 
is as if you had actual dairy food that you're mixing with meat, and that's prohibited. Even though there's no dairy and meat visible, one was cooked yesterday, the other is being cooked today, and you washed it, the pot in between, but the a certain amount of the flavor will be interchanged and mixed, and that's prohibited. It's called ta'am ki'ikr. The flavor of the residue is as if the ingredient was there, and it's prohibited, and that's why you have to kasher it, because by putting it into boiling water, for example, what it does is it releases whatever particles had been absorbed. Now it's flushed clean. Now when you come to cook something else, there's nothing else in there, no flavors to mix. And that is why we have to do this koshering process. So just to give an example, I mean, this is a major aspect of what it means to keep kosher. First of all, this is why we have all these different sets of dishes, even if you don't have nine, but a lot of us have two. Some of us maybe have even three or four. Um, and the reason is because, similarly with Pesach, the dishes that you use year-round, they've absorbed the taste of the food of chametz. And if you were to use the same dishes on Pesach, the flavors would mix and it would be prohibited. So we have separate dishes. Or we kasher them from one to another, which koshering, again, removes whatever was absorbed. By the way, this is also the reason, I, and I realize a lot of people... Um, are not clear about this, but this is also the reason that we're not allowed to go to a non-kosher restaurant even to eat a food that appears to be kosher. What's wrong with going to a non-kosher restaurant and eating a salad? It's all kosher and it's cold. And the answer is because, number one, there are often ingredients that are not visible to you that are absolutely trafe. Just to take salad as an example, if there's vinegar, the vinegar can be trafe. There can be all sorts of ingredients that don't show up on a menu that could be absolutely trafe. But number two, even if that's not true, if the dishes that it's served with are trafe, the food is trafe. That's it. The food is trafe. Because of this halacha, tam ki'ik. But there's one strange detail about these verses. Okay, so this is an important mitzvah. It's a major part of our lives and has been for the last 3,500 years. But what's strange is who is it that teaches us this law? Vayomer Elazar HaKohen El Anshe Hatzava, Elazar, the high priest, says to the Jewish to the returning soldiers who brought back these utensils, Zos Torah, this is the law of the Torah, Asher Tziva Hashem es Moshe, that God commanded Moshe. I'm not aware of any other time in the Torah where Elazar is the person to teach a new mitzvah to the Jewish people. Especially when he says explicitly, God commanded Moshe in this mitzvah. If God commanded Moshe, why isn't Moshe teaching us these laws? Moshe is the one who teaches us the laws. A few times in the Torah, we have where God says to Moshe and Aharo. Okay, but I'm not aware, maybe I'm not remembering, but I'm not aware of any other time 
where someone other than Moshe is the one that teaches a new mitzvah to the Jewish people. Why is Elazar the one to say this? So, the reason for this, the answer for this, is a simple answer. <clears throat> it's also a very profound answer. And it is relevant to every single one of us every single day of our lives. Let's start at the beginning of this narrative. God says to Moshe, I want you to go fight a battle against the nation of Midian. And as soon as that's over, that's your last official act. Then you will pass away. Your physical life will come to an end. I want you, God says, to fight this battle against Midian because of what they did to the Jewish people in last week's Parsha. There was a plot to send the women of Midian to seduce Jewish men. It was a terrible disaster. 24,000 Jews died in a plague. It was a horrible crime and terrible sin to send their women, besides just the debasing of it, to use women as weapons to try to uh, create this immorality within the Jewish people. And God says to Moshe, I want you to fight a battle against them. So they raise the army. They go out and fight the battle. And they're victorious in battle. The soldiers who are victorious in battle, they take treasure. They keep the women alive, which they were not supposed to do, because remember, it was the women who were responsible. It was the women who were the ones who were guilty here. The war was to punish the women for what they did. They also brought back all of these utensils and objects and plunder and gold and silver that Moshe had told them not to bring. And when Moshe sees that they came back, the soldiers came back, and they had not listened to his instructions, by Yetzu Moshe ve'lazar ha'kohen v'chol nesiyeh ho'eda l'krosem al-mechutz l'machanem Moshe and Elazar the Kohen Gadol, and all of the princes of the tribes went out to meet the returning soldiers. And Moshe saw they're bringing back all of this plunder, and they had not listened to him, not to him, to Hashem's command. Vayitzof Moshe al Pakude Hachoyel. Moshe was angry at the soldiers. Hashem commanded you, I told you Hashem commanded you not to do that. Why did you do that? And Moshe is angry. Says Rashi, quoting our rabbis in the Medrash, by Yiktsof, Moshe was angry. Moshe kas. Moshe lost his temper. He was angry. 
Ba lechlal taos. He came to make a mistake. Shinis alma mi menu halachos. He forgot the law. He forgot it. Hashem had taught him this law that metal utensils have to be koshered and everything has to go into a mikvah. Moshe had, had learned this already, but he forgot it because he was angry. When a person is angry, they forget things. And remember, let's just be clear, Moshe is right. What the soldiers did was wrong. Moshe had reason to be disappointed and upset. Maybe Moshe was even right to be upset. But even if you're right, you will lose if you lose your temper. You will be diminished by your anger, even if you're right. Doesn't matter if you're right. Anger will hurt you. I've shared with you before the famous line of our sages, Hakaas Mikalkelis es Ashura. Kaas, anger, giving in to anger, makes a person lose their way. Anger doesn't only harm the other person, the object of your anger. Anger causes you to make a mistake, causes you to forget something. The mitzvah of ta'am ki'ikr. And the way that we need to be careful about the utensils and have separate dishes for meat and for milk, etc. It plays a large role in our lives. Every single day as Jews, we have to remember this cabinet for meat and this cabinet for milk. When we learn this mitzvah and we remember this major aspect of our daily lives as Jews, we should also remember how we learn this mitzvah, not from Moshe, but from Elazar. And the lesson of why Moshe was not able to teach us this mitzvah should also be a major part of our daily lives as Jews. I've told this story before, and it bears repeating. I heard this from Rabbi Malik Biederman. He tells, he tells a story about a man whose name is Shimon Schwartz, who lived in Bnei Brak in Israel. Religious man. You may know on the Tel Aviv beach, there's a certain area where there's a separate swimming, a separate swimming pool. And people who care about wanting separate swimming, they'll often go to this part of the beach in Tel Aviv and they have a great time during the summer. So this Shimon Schwartz lived in B'nai Brak nearby. It was during the summer and he promised his children that he was going to take them swimming. He was going to take them to the swimming pool. Shimon Schwartz was very busy. He was late. His kids were waiting for him. He was running late. And finally, by the time he got there with his kids to the swimming pool, it was late in the evening. It was summertime. It was still light out. So the first thing he does is he goes to the owner of the pool and he says, 
How late are you open? I brought my kids. I want them to be able to swim. I know it's late, but how late are you open? I want to know how much time they have to swim. So the owner says, 8 p.m. out of the pool, 8.15, the pool closes. So we close at 8.15, but everyone's got to get out of the pool at 8 o'clock. Okay, that's fine. There's enough time. He goes into the pool with his kids. They're having a good time. Everything is going fine. 7.45 p.m., the lifeguard blows his whistle. Everyone out of the pool. Shimon says to the lifeguard, what do you mean everyone out of the pool? The owner said 8 o'clock. 8.15, it closes. 8 o'clock out of the pool. My kids still have 15 minutes. I got here so late to begin with. Don't let make them get out of the pool. Lifeguard says, sorry. 7.45, out of the pool. So he starts arguing. And it gets a little bit heated, of course, because he was frustrated. He wanted to have come earlier, but he was late. He felt bad that his kids were not getting enough time to play in the pool. And the owner said they had till eight o'clock. So he starts arguing and raises his voice a little bit. It's not right. Finally, he says, he turns to his children. He says, you know what? It's not right to make a machlokas about this. Machlokas is not good. Arguing, getting mad is not good. We'll leave. We'll leave. Tells his kids, get out of the pool. 7.45, out of the pool, and they're going to go. As he's leaving, the lifeguard notices a little boy is in the pool under the water. The lifeguard jumps in. The lifeguard pulls out this boy who is not breathing. The little boy is unconscious and it's his son. It's Shimon's son who was under the water and the lifeguard pulls him out, starts CPR. They call Hatsala. The boy is unconscious. They rush him to the hospital, gets to the emergency room. They're working on him and then Baruch Hashem, thank God, they bring him back. He's okay. The CPR worked. No damage. No, no injury. A little while later, the boy is there and the boy is fine in the hospital. Baruch Hashem. In the emergency room, the doctor says to Shimon, to the father, he says, you know, a child can be underwater and not breathe for a certain number of minutes with no damage, but one minute more, then God forbid, then at the very best, there is permanent major damage for the rest of that child's life. But you made it, the doctor says to the father, you made it if you would have been one minute later arriving at the emergency room, you would not be going home with a healthy child. You would not have a normal child for the rest of your life. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Shimon now says the following. He says, I was arguing with the lifeguard. I was arguing because I was right. I was right. 
The owner said 8 o'clock. The lifeguard blew the whistle at 7.45. I was right to argue with the lifeguard. But my arguing only hurt me. Had I continued arguing for just one more minute, what would have happened to my son? To my son. We have to live with this. We have to live with this awareness. Wherever we are, even if we are right, we are the ones who harm ourselves when we lose our temper, when we get angry, when we get involved in arguing and machlokas. It hurts us. It can destroy us, even when we are right. My friends, I want to wish you a great day, a safe day, a calm and peaceful day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.